Galatians chapter 3. And before I read this, we have been doing a short series on Amazing Grace. And this will be, I believe, the last message on the series. And Thursday night we were talking here at the prayer meeting about, I was praying the, the last few days, Lord, what do you want the theme for March to be? And I was just praying, and someone had the suggestion about the life of Job, and I like that. And when that was suggested, I thought, wow, this is really, this is God. And so I just, I think we'll start the life of Job, but not from the perspective of Job as a victim and Job as a sufferer, but Job as an overcomer. And many times when we look at the Bible and look at the life of Job, we see a victim. And we see a person that's really suffered a lot. And it's easy for us to really focus on the suffering part because most of the book is about his suffering, his questions, uh, his struggle with his own righteousness, with God's justice, and with people. And But in the end, he overcomes. And God gives him twice as much as he loses. And... There's a lot, to, and I'm tempted to start talking about Job now, but there's a lot that we can see in the life of Job. And it's really a pattern of life, isn't it? There's lots of loss in life, isn't there? We're losing a lot of things. And if we're not losing, our health is, is slowly ebbing away. Our, our youth, our money, or whatever it is, is there's a slow, digre- a slow um, dissipation of life energy and resources but Job's story which is probably a lot of commentators feel that it was the oldest book of the Bible written one of the first and oldest books and it deals with the most common and big problem that mankind faces and that's suffering and we look at Job and we see a very honest book if I was going to write a religious book like the Bible, I would not be very honest. I would have very idealistic pictures of the way people should be, that everybody is great, everybody's victorious, nobody makes any mistakes, nobody sins. And that would be my religious book. But the Bible takes the risk, God takes the risk of dealing with honest problems because God is not afraid and he's not trying to hide anything. Isn't that great? That is very honest. And you don't see a lot of times God explaining things about people's mess-ups. Because God doesn't, is not insecure that he has to explain to all of us people's mess-ups. Where we would be very quick to explain our mess-ups or other people's mess-ups. Or something that happens to, like, maybe a new person comes and we feel that we have to explain things to that new person. Because we feel a little insecure. But... Today, I just want to talk about how the grace of God motivates us, <clears throat> and we know, we can all agree on this, that there's a global, worldwide crisis, and that's not political, and it's not economic, but it's a crisis of motivation. People are really struggling with how to motivate themselves. Now, this is not, a, this is not going to be a Zig Ziglar message. This is not going to be a self-improvement message. It's not going to be a message with great some great one-liners that, you know, you can use for your business or sales, but it's just going to be a message about how we understand motivation and passion. And I can tell that my Christianity or my walk with God is in trouble when I lose my passion, when I have to drag myself to something 
like a meeting or a prayer meeting or an event or outreach or Bible study or Bible college or just to open my Bible. And that happens. And that's, that's okay because we can be honest before God because we don't realize in Hebrews chapter 4, God already sees everything. God sees the beginning from the end. Everything is uncovered in verse 12, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 4, 11, 12. Everything is uncovered naked before God. That word naked is used because it's a word that denotes um, the potential for embarrassment or that potential of just exposure. And God never makes us embarrassed because we're in an environment of grace and love, aren't we? We, talk, we talked about that last week, that we are in an environment of God's grace and God's love. And so therefore, when we internalize the love and the grace of God, then we never have to feel that we're insecure or that we're in trouble because whatever happens, we never need to feel fear failure. Failure, the fear of failure is connected psychologically, I think, with the fear of falling. You ever have those dreams in the middle of the night where you're just falling and falling and falling and you never hit the bottom? That is, that is I think, in my own little world of psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but I think that's related to the fear of failure, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's really true. There's other interesting dreams that we have, and um, we don't need to get into those, but uh, there are funny dreams that we have, and it's really connected with our state, our psychology, but grace, the grace of God creates around us an environment of security. Unfortunately, today in many churches, there are not, there is not that environment of grace. Actually, it's an environment of ungrace in many cases. And as it would be with the sophisticated level of evil today in the world, the church sometimes can actually become one of the most legalistic or conditional or scary environments that anyone could ever go into. I remember doing outreach one time uh, down in Philly, and I asked someone, I said, you know, why don't you come to our church? And they said, well, why would I want to do that? <laughs> why would I want to go to any church? And I go, what do you mean? And they said, well, man, you know, I could see it on their face. They didn't want to go and get beat up. They wanted to go and get, you know, burdens put on them with law. And I said, I understand. One guy told me one time, I knocked on his door, and he opened his window above, and he goes, what do you want? I go, you know, we're going to have a concert at our church tonight. This was down in the city a couple years ago. And he goes, he goes, I can't afford to go to your church. <laughs> I go, what do you mean you can't afford? It doesn't cost. He goes, no, 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 I can't afford your church. And so later on, he comes downstairs, and he says, you know, there are churches here. I said, I'm new to Philly. And he goes, there are churches here that have special lines for where you go to give your offerings. And if you are, this line is for the $20 givers, this line is for the $50 givers, this line is for the $100 givers, and this line is for 100 and above. And uh, Carl, I think, told me a story that there was one church at one time, the guy got up, the pastor got up and said, if your birth date is on this date and later, then you're in this line over here. You're giving 100 bucks in the offering. <laughs> and uh, so, I don't know if it was Carl that told me, but somebody said they just got up and walked out at that moment. This is not, that is an environment of ungrace, and that's not motivating, isn't it? That's not motivating. Uh, guilt is the worst motivator in the world, and unfortunately, it's what motivates us a lot of times, because 
we feel insufficient, we feel guilty, we feel that I've done too many bad things and I need to level off that, that, that scale of bad and good that we, the pagan way of thinking in our minds. But the grace of God is something that's miraculous and it's amazing. And that's why we love that word amazing grace. You know, we know the story about the guy who wrote that hymn, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know that story, John Newton, right? You know that story that he was a hopeless alcoholic. He sold he sold everything in his home and he lost it all. And he took even the little shoes to his babies, you know, and he sold them for for a, a bottle of alcohol. And God's grace shined into his life. And that's what people need to see today. They don't need to see a sentimental God, nor do they need to see an old man with a beard in heaven that's angry. How many of you have ever gotten that book when you were kids, that hardcover book of the Bible illustrated? And one of the first pictures is God, this white robe with long white beard and angry eyes with thunderbolts in his eyes creating the world. It's like, wow, that really freaks me out. And I had that picture in my mind, and I don't know what happened with that book, and I hope it's not being used today in any Sunday schools, but... The God who created this world is not a God that is angry with thunder, lightning bolts in his hands ready to kill us. He's a God that came in the form of a little baby, vulnerable and easily exposed. And he came because he had a message, and that message is what Paul wrote about in most of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament, we could say all the New Testament, but most of the New Testament is very significant obviously written with the word grace in it. That's the message of the New Covenant, grace, the grace of God. But unfortunately, in America and worldwide, because people by nature are guilty, no matter how long we've been going to church, no, longer, no, no, no matter how long we have the theology of grace, we have an underlying uh, stain of guilt that lines the walls of our memory and our conscience. Like, you ever go into a house and your house, and we had it here in this chapel, there was that stain of mildew, you know, that stain that we used to have here? That's, the, that's in people's minds, that's in their soul, the underlying stain of guilt. God wants to eradicate that with his blood. But in practice, he wants us to apply grace. And it's going to take, you know what, if you don't understand this, I don't either. It's going to take us the rest of our lives. And then when we die, we're going to only start, we're going to, only then are we going to start to see it even displayed in Ephesians 2.7 for ages to come. So you and I, we are enrolled in the Bible school of grace until eternity ends. And that is biblical. That's why we call our little institute here Karis Bible Institute, because it's all about grace. Okay, last week we just said, and I don't want to review too long, but last week we said that there are laws in this world that we live in. There is the moral law, which is the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, which we know that we all failed by the time we hit the age of 10, or even earlier, or whatever. We failed all of, we, maybe we haven't killed anybody, but maybe in our mind we did. And then there are other laws. There are laws of perfection. There are social laws. There are economic e, 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 uh, laws of economy. There are political laws. There are uh, family cultural laws, what is culturally acceptable in your family. We all know what that is. 
You know, and my wife grew up in a Polish Catholic home, and her grandmother, and she's still around, still alive today, her grandmother was just such a proponent of having the house in tip-top shape, having everything super made clean and for the guests, that if there wasn't food on the table 24-hour, 24-7, which I didn't mind, then she was, you know, she was not a good wife. She was not going to be a good wife in the future. And marriage many times begins with lots of concepts. And so the first few years of marriage, there's lots of, we're going to talk about that tonight. There's a lot of concepts. Concepts and ideals destroy relationships and they destroy people because we were not made to live under laws. There are laws, there are, how many know what I'm talking about? The laws of what's expected from you. That's a law. Uh, what you got to do at work, this is your job description. That's a law. Um, you know, that's why I personally, I don't know, this is going to sound strange, but I don't like working for people. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I sound, and when I was, and I'm not saying that for any other reason, because, you know, even when I first, when I came back from the mission field, we started our own business because I didn't want to work for somebody. I was working for people, and it was like, they give you a paycheck, and they own you 40 hours a week. It's like, I don't know. It's, it, work is work. we got to work. But it, for me, I just thought, God, just can you give, me, uh, give us a little business that we could just run so that we, so we could be free to be in the church and free to serve God and free to, you know, that's not God's will for everybody. But in my case, that was the will of God because God wanted me in the staff in, in Baltimore. And so there's a real motivational crisis today because people live under laws. They live under the law of their own, of their own making. Remember that verse we read in uh, Romans last week that the, that the Gentiles, you know, the law was not given to the Gentiles. And we have to keep reminding ourselves of that because we were brainwashed into thinking the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, you've got to obey the Ten Commandments, and then you can feel you're accepted by this church. You know, well, the people, by the way, delegating and mandating those commandments can't keep them themselves and God only knows what's going on in their personal lives and just won't go there but no one can keep the law the law was given to point to us that you know what you are hopeless worthless and unable to save yourself and 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 until we totally believe that the law is going to continually face us with with you are falling short. You are unable. You cannot do this. Sometimes we meet people and say, they say, well, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. And now I'm going to be a Buddhist or something like that. Or I'm going to be, just live for my, my own self because of my, my own God. That is because people have never heard the true gospel. And the true, and you know what? In some cultures, you know, in some family cultures, some national cultures, some cultures worldwide have these standards that are drilled into people that, you know, it is, it's like Germany is, like a, is an amazing place. You go there and everything is so organized, so on time. You just kind of want to, like Pastor Schaller said one time, he said, you just want to throw trash on their streets because it's just so clean there. And... and um, you know, you go there and you just feel like being a rebel. I don't know why. I just go there and just, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't vandalize things, but, you know, you're just waiting for some imperfection so you can point it out to everybody. 
is brings that the law brings the rebel out of you, doesn't it? Right? Mom says, don't touch. Like I, my mom one time said, she goes, whatever you do, don't go in that cabinet and don't go inside of that jar. We're going to be gone. And the babysitter's going to be here, but <laughs> my brother and I met together. What's in the jar? <laughs> We're thinking, what's in the jar? You know, maybe cookies. You know, maybe something amazing. And you know what happened? We we're in the jar, and we learned that the law or laws, whether the moral law or the social law or the economic law, creates rebellion. It causes rebels, right? That is why grace is a whole nother psychology. It's a whole nother way of thinking. Grace is amazing. Grace does three things. It compels us. It is it is very practical. And then number three, it works in real life. And I just want to, I'm going to try to go through all of this. Grace, and here's the interesting, studies have been made that, that uh, threats, demands, and promises of reward don't motivate people to work harder or to do anything or to serve more in churches. I mean, if you're guilty, then it does. But it's not lasting. Because the feeling goes away, and then maybe 10, 15 years later, you're not so motivated anymore to do those things because you realize that it's not real. And many churches today use guilt because everybody has it. And, you know, I had one businessman in Ukraine tell me, he said, you have to be careful uh, as a church, as a pastor. He said, because you have, he said the words in Russian were like you have, in Ukrainian were, you have access to people's minds, and you have. And he was very skeptical of us until later on. He, he's now he's our best friend, and he just loves and blesses us all the time. But because when people come to church, they're guilty about something, and you know they're guilty. They walk through those doors, and they're we're thinking like, wow, you know, I didn't have a great week this week. That's not what God is thinking, because that's because that's a law of performance, the law of cause and effect. These laws are not God's laws. I mean, of course we have to obey the laws, the civil laws, Romans 13. They were given for order in society, and God has allowed those politicians, whether we like them or not, to be in power. That's why we should be praying for Obama. And, you know, I'm, you know I just... Some of these, some of these conservative TV show, um, news channels, I just can't listen to them because they're so inflammatory. Like, do I agree with everything? No. But have, when was the last time we got on our knees and prayed for these, these, these guys, you know? We got to pray for them. And, and truth that, um, the truth is that demands, threats, and promises of reward don't motivate people to, to do anything better or harder. It only actually de- demotivates people. It doesn't motivate people. Instead, Scripture shows that psychological and, and sociological research also confirms a surprising number of counterintuitive truth. Grace motivates. This is what people are starting to discover. So number one, grace is what motivates us. God's grace that is overflowing and abundant is also very powerful. We talked here Thursday night about the power of a gift. How many have ever been given something and that so blesses you and motivates you that you keep giving the same thing over and over and over? I remember one time someone gave us a very expensive thing it was very hard it was impossible for us to get when we came back from the mission field and it was amazing they just handed it to us they gave us you know something it was very important for us when we came back and since then and i'm not 
glorying in this, but since then, there has been this great desire for me to give the same kind of thing to other people. And we've been able to do that twice already. Is that for, is that for our glory? No. When you, when you truly receive a gift that's been given in the power of God's gracious love, something changes you, and it creates a continual desire to keep giving. It's infectious. Grace giving is infectious. And um, we don't want to discount the law of God because it's perfect, true, and righteous altogether, Psalms 19, 7 through 9, Romans 7, verse 12. But it doesn't do anything to produce life. The law of the Ten Commandments doesn't motivate people. It tells us the purpose of the law. Don't forget it, and we keep saying this, but the purpose of the law is to say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and there's nothing I can do to change myself, so I need you to transform my life. If that's the understanding of the law in your life, then you are living under the law of grace. God, I need you. To say, okay, God, I can't obey the Ten Commandments, I'm just going to go live like a devil, that's the wrong response. Or to just throw in the towel and say, you know, I can't keep this anyway. I can't be a good Christian. Well, that's not the purpose. Here's the thing is that people get these ideals in Christianity or they get these ideals in in politics and then they try to mandate it on people. For example, Karl Marx, remember him, the creator of communism in in Russia uh, in those days? In Acts 2 verse 44, he read this verse about how all the disciples had all things in common and they shared everything. They brought everything to the apostles, laid it at their feet, and there was this distribution as it was needed within, within the community, the first church. Karl Marx was so impressed by that, he said, that's what we got to do. We got to create a system where, everything bring, where everyone brings all their goods and all their belongings to the feet of the state and then let the state distribute everything as it sees fit. But the only problem with Karl Marx's idea was that God wasn't in the picture. Grace wasn't in the picture. And what happened was that Karl Marx said the state will actually do the dispersion and the giving out of everything. And that's what we see happening again in, in society today. Take the, you know, people take and then they give as they feel free. That's not grace. When grace is in the picture, you don't have to ask people to do things. People are, people receive a vision in their heart. God tells them what they're supposed to do. And we just kind of direct them in the direction. We can just throw out some, hey, you want to do this? But it's like, it's not, because when, if we ask someone to do something that doesn't understand grace, then it's going to become a law to them. The first thing that people need to understand when they come to a church, and I think in America we have this problem, is that we are so do-oriented. Like somebody, A lot of people come to the church and they're like, what can I do? That's great. That's awesome. But the first thing that God wants you to do is understand who He is. And, and without understanding who God is, then, then it, everything becomes a law. Communism was something, was the life of giving and kindness mandated on people. And it didn't go well, did it? The whole system bankrupt, bankrupted uh, 70 years later. So the law does not enable people to do what it demands. There's a beautiful little poem, and I've, I think we've maybe, we love this little poem, and I think it's by Spurgeon. And I haven't quoted it for a while, but I like this. It says, This do, 
the law commands, but neither gives us feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings bids us fly and gives us wings. Isn't that beautiful? The law tells us do this, but he doesn't give us any energy or any power to do it. Grace says fly with God in his plan, and he gives us wings, and he gives us wisdom, and he gives us grace, doesn't he? The Bible says that God, in Philippians chapter 2, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, that God gives us the, the will and the, the desire to do his good pleasure. The will, the determination, and the desire. Two things that, don't, that lack in, in our lives. And sometimes we go through these motivational crises. We're just like, I don't have any desire. I don't even have the power to will something. I don't, I don't have the power to get out of my bed and look for a job today. I have no will left. Uh, we've been there, haven't we? No will. Uh, one guy told me in Baltimore, he was uh, just a hopeless alcoholic. He said, I used to pray for the desire to desire to get out of, <laughs> out of alcohol. I, I, I didn't even have the desire to want it. And he said, I had no will left. And that's when people die. And so the Bible really gives us an understanding that grace, when we discover God is a gracious God, and that there's no way that we can fail except for stop receiving grace, then what will happen is, is that we'll be so motivated with vision that we're like, you know, I am just ready to do something crazy for God, whether small or great. And that's what people today really need. They really need to see a big God. I think we as people, all of us, are prone to control. We're prone to legalism. We're prone to rules and regulations without the passion of understanding the love of God. When we discover the love of God, then Jesus can say in John chapter 8 to the woman that was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. I like that. Was there a probation program after Jesus said that to that woman in John chapter 8? Go and sin no more, and my disciples are going to be watching you. <laughs> no probation. Wow. That's, wow. You're not going to find that in a lot of churches today. Jesus, here's a couple, here's a couple cool verses. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. To the measure that we receive freely, we talked about this Thursday night, when we receive something freely, then it just activates us. We, we sense we're activated, and we have desire and passion to give. And that's really the power of the grace of God. Here's another verse, Romans 2, verse 4. These are all our favorite verses. The goodness of God leads you to what? Become a better person? No. Sometimes you hear people say that, I'm working on myself, I'm working on myself. <laughs> Good luck, because you're going to be working yourself into the grave. There's no way we can, we can improve our behavior, but the status of the heart is just not converted. The goodness of God leads us to what? Repentance. It's just a change of mind. And then when we, when we change our mind, then the power of grace takes over, and God begins to motivate, lead, direct. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law. Wait a minute. I thought it would should, I should, I thought it would should, I thought it should say for you for sin will no, have no dominion over you for you are not under sin no it says you're not under the law just bear with me here I, I don't I don't want to talk in riddles but if we're under the law 
then sin is going to result. Okay? If you're living in, uns- in some kind of expectation from yourself, you're going to blow it. If you are living in somebody else's expectation for your life, whether they're a religious person or an unsaved person, you are going to fail their expectations. Because we have not been made to be perfect. And that's not what God is looking from us. God is looking for uh, from one thing from us. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, Give me your heart, my son, and you will observe my ways. Give God your heart, and you're going to see God work in your life. That's what we say many times to people who are trying to get their life together and try to get things going in their life. i gotta, I got to work on myself. i got to... Okay, I failed a few times as a Christian. Now I've got to really put my hand to the plow and obey my New Year's resolution. Well, that is a recipe for failure and disappointment and discouragement. The only way that we can experience victory in our life is to understand that the law, we're not under any kind of a law. We are under grace. And when we give gifts in Christmas time, we're not giving gifts because of guilt, because Aunt Susie gave us that great gift last year. We're giving things to people because we love. Love begins to be our motivation. Uh, grace is really the love of God in action. And so um, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all of us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Why? Because when we see God's grace, and I can't explain it, something supernatural happens in our psyche. What happens is, is that we no longer want that. And I, it, it, that can't be explained by psychology. It can't be explained by anything. It can only be explained by this, that when we see true grace, we as a human being are activated to reciprocate that, to give it, because, because, there's to, there, because true love gives. Lust looks to take to satisfy the luster. And that's why the law can never can never create passion in our life. It can cause religious fanaticism, but that's not conversion. That's How many people are following me? Are you following me? Okay. Um, the law cannot create anything other than fanaticism, which is conditional. Okay? I want to just finish up with this, that um, grace is practical. And and I'm just going to, this is another study was done, and this is just another words of what we've just said. Research shows that traditional incentives, and they call it extrinsic motivators, rewards, punishments, carrots, and sticks, actually don't work to motivate people. In fact, they decrease performance and results. Look at the time in your life when you've, born or bared or whatever that word is in name, born or bear, or when you had the most fruit spirits in your life? Was it because someone told you? Or was it because that you had a vision that was created by seeing a big God? And when you see that big God, you have big faith and you say, let's do great things for God. Let's, let's go beyond the craziness of our flesh and people's flesh and the system. Okay? It's because intrinsic motivation or passion that comes by knowing God goes beyond what makes a mother truly love their kids not because she has to perform but because she loves them there are three things that God gives us and I'm going to close with this three things that God gives us for internal motivation when we 
are struggling with motivation, um, be careful how you use the word should. I should or ought. These are, these are guilt. I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. These are, these are not grace vocabulary words. And we use those words, but we have to understand that when they're applied to us, you ought to do that. You should do this. Those are words that always precede condition. Like, okay, you should do this. Why? Because I did this for you. Or because you failed and now you're going to make it up. Or you're on probation. Or, you know, should and ought. So three things. Number one, um, God gives us a personal destiny because of a high calling in God's plan. A personal destiny. I like to think about that. That You know, we were driving home yesterday from... We went out, my wife and I got out and had like a little Valentine's dinner and we were driving home and we were just talking about how we are not boxed in geographically, we're not boxed into our lives in any way because we have options with God, we have destiny with God, you have a destiny with God. Do you live with that sense of going somewhere, I'm going somewhere, it doesn't matter if we're elderly we can always have that sense that I am going places with God because of a high calling in God's plan. And this is Psalm 37, verse 23. God directs our steps, and also Philippians 3, verse 14. Grace produces in our life a sense of destiny. I'm going somewhere. And that's what Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, that my thoughts, God said to you, are not evil thoughts, that you may have an expected end. Like we, have to, we can have a destiny in our relationships, in our marriage. We can have a destiny in our private life. We can have a destiny. Maybe there are things in our personal life that we would like to see God deal with. We can have a destiny that God's going to do that. Okay? Number two, mastery and growth. Growing in grace and becoming engaged with God's plan. Uh, like Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 4.19, I will make you fishers of men. That is just a, you know, when we find our destination with God, then the growth, then grace can begin to create in us growth. And we begin to grow with the sense that I am be, God is making me a fisher of men. It's not me making myself, which much of the, much of Christianity today, which is, which is permeated with this uh, self-improvement gospel and success gospel, it's Jesus that is making us what we need to be. That's why we can always be relaxed and not be under pressure about my performance and how well did I do and did that come out okay? Because it's God that is making us what we need to be. And then number three, the third thing that grace does in our life is it gives us purpose, an eternal purpose, which is that hunger and desire for our actions to serve something greater than ourselves. And it's called an eternal purpose. Um, research has been done, and it points to the fact that when people have all of their needs met, they look for something bigger than themselves. And that is not the end, that they are not the end to their own means. When a person that is a healthy person understands that their needs are met with God, then they begin to look outside of themselves. And the greatest need that we have that needs to be fulfilled is to understanding that God loves us and that God is for us and that God is working through us. And when we understand that, 
then we can begin to look outside of ourselves. Maybe we don't have all the money to pay our bills, but there's something, a greater need that needs to be fulfilled, and that's God's love. Because when we are filled with the love of God, then we understand our value, we understand our destiny, we understand that we're growing, we understand that we're going somewhere. And this is what grace does. Grace motivates. If you ever want to motivate someone, pour on the grace. The opposite, many times just the opposite is what people think. And I'm going to close with an illustration. I remember being overseas and being part of a team before we moved to Ukraine. And uh, I had certain responsibilities on the team. And I was teaching a Bible school class. And and I just remember really just being um, disturbed by something that someone had done. <laughs> I was just really disturbed by them and just what they did. And and I thought, you know, I'm just going to get up and just teach my whole class about this subject. You know, I'm teaching old, I was teaching Old Testament survey, but I was going to just teach on this one subject of, you know, what that person did wrong. And I just got, I studied all this stuff, and I was ready to go, and I got up to speak, and God said to me, I'm not going to bless this. <laughs> I said, God, but it's got to be dealt with. It's just like, you know, rampant in the class, you know, in the school. And God said, you can speak this, but I'm not going to bless it. And I was like, and you know, it's like these split second, these seconds, uh, you know, when when you come to speak or when you speak to someone of struggle, and you're like, okay, God, you know, but it just needs to be dealt with. And God said, you know, I want you to talk about, I want you to talk about um, unconditional love and the grace, the power of the grace of God that transforms. I said, okay, all right, and I did that. And I was just like, okay, I did it, God. And then the class is over. And you know what happened? This person came right up to me right after, this, right after the class. It was just totally out of their mind, just very disrespectful, everything. Came right up to me and they said, you know what? God spoke to me during the class. <laughs> what I did was totally wrong. I asked you for forget. And I was like, what are you saying? And I was thinking that was such a lesson to me that people respond to true grace, true love, true true investment, because what it does is it allows God to move. And because if we are trying to apply the law, we're the, we're the manipulators, we're the judges, we're the people that are trying to make it all happen, and God's not in the picture. So that's how God's grace motivates us, and that's how we can build ourselves up and encourage ourselves when we feel like we're just dying under a law that's not the law of God's love. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you.